Come on, somebody. Now, I know this building's not that beautiful. Our new building's going to be beautiful, but you are beautiful. God thinks you're amazing. God looks at his bride and he loves his bride. How many believe Jesus loves his bride? And so I've been on a journey in my own life for, you know, I, I got, uh, I became a believer in 1992. I was 17, about to turn 18. And I got radically saved. God just rocked my world. Um, you know, people, I, I remember I going to this church and it was kind of a word of faith, Pentecostal church. And I'm jumping up and down and I'm like this stoner skater dude with long hair. And they're like, who's this guy? And everyone's wearing suits and ties. And it's like kind of old school Pentecostalish, you know. And I'm, you know, I got like baggy pants that are shredded on the bottom. That was in style at one point. And, um... Now it's just the opposite, you know, skinnies that are like perfect, but they were shredded. And I just, I wore purple pants a lot. Remember those purple pants I wore, honey? Yeah, you liked those purple pants, didn't you? I wore those purple pants and, but I got radically saved and, and I, I've been on this journey of, uh, you know, even when we started the church, like what is real church? What is fellowship? What is, what does this thing look like? What is this thing for? I used to get mad at the church. I used to, I used to bride bash. Like I used to call the bride uh, a, a harlot. I used to say, well, the body of Christ this and the church that. And, the, and, and really what, I, what, what I, I realize now is that God was trying to get me away from criticizing the lack, but becoming the more. Hello? And it, as believers, we should be maturing at a place where we're not criticizing lack, but we're becoming the more. We're in essence taking on the heart of God, which is what the anointing is. I'm taking on the heart of God for a particular call or anointing or ministry that I was created for in the earth. And and something happens in us where the anointing changes the way we think. The anointing teaches us. The anointing changes our hearts. And and I, I started on a journey where I, I I didn't like the church. I didn't like the bride. I I, I was quick to talk about the bride. I was quick to just say how, how unhealthy she is and all this and that. And God changed my heart. And, and I, I believe that as a church, this is an area that is progressive. We are in the church, the global church of Jesus is changing. The, cha- the, the nature of the church is changing. Now that sounds simple, but I want you to say it. Say the nature of the church, the of the church. is changing. changing. And, and she's becoming more glorious. And she's becoming more victorious. Now, if we're aware of this and we think like this and we get God's heart for the body, we begin to prophesy and we speak like Ephesians chapter 5 says, the washing of the water of the word. Like we begin to prophesy to the church and we speak life. We're like, uh, you know, that, that story in the Old Testament where Ezekiel is on the mountain and, and God says, look at the valley. It's full of dry bones. Can these bones live? And, and most of you know the story in Ezekiel. It's a great answer. You, lo- you know, Lord. That's always a right answer. You know, Lord, you know the answer to that. And, and God says, I want you to prophesy to the dry bones. And Ezekiel calls on the four winds. And how many know the story? The bones came together and they became an army of the living God. See, I believe that the church is becoming victorious. I believe that the nature of the church is changing. I believe that in almost 2,000 years from the conception of the church, we can call it on the day of Pentecost or when Jesus resurrected and he breathed on the disciples. You know, that whole story in John chapter 20. But since the conception of the people of God, she is becoming more and more glorious. Come on, she's progressing. 
progressing. She is, there, might, there might be some setbacks, just like there's setbacks in our family. But we should be growing in love, maturing in love, loving one another. And, and our goal should be oneness. Our goal should be unity. Amen. So I want to read you a couple scriptures and, and just tell you some stories of, of what I see and, and, and just something that this really burns in my heart. And I, I really want to see the body of Christ mature past some of our, our little silliness. Our just, we're, we're just so quick to critique one another. And, you know, like I, I, I can't stand it when, when people are bashing the bride and they don't even love their wives and their families. I mean, come on, or, or husbands and families. You, you, are you hearing me this morning? Like it grieves my heart. And I want to see wholeness. How many believe God is restoring all things? And I want to see wholeness. And I believe we were created, as a matter of fact, as a church that believes in the fivefold ministry gifts, an apostolic church. We are created to see this. I, I want us as a people, as a community, to think apostolically. Think loving the bride. Think restoring the bride. Think the nature of the church is changing. And she's not getting worse, she's getting better. The church is the fastest growing entity on the planet. There are more Muslims getting saved now than any time in history. You know, it bothers me that it really bothers me when I had this experience this last week where I'm watching uh, these persecuted religious minorities, these Christians and these peoples getting persecuted and fleeing to the mountains of Iraq and these military helicopters are picking them up and they've been up there for uh, almost seven days and they're, they're so scared and they're crying and some of them have saw their own relatives get their heads chopped off and, and I mean they're beheading children like this is reality. And, and I'm watching this and I begin to weep and I begin to pray. And I just see their faces and it just reveals their heart. The Bible talks about that our countenance reveals what's on the inside and they're just so afraid. And, and I know that they've been crying out to God. And, and I think about this and, and the reality is that these people are literally being killed for believing in Jesus. And they're, be, they're getting beheaded and these Iraqi Christians are saying, forgive them, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. They're actually loving their enemies. But then over here in our cozy, comfy Christianity, we're, we're cutting each other's heads off and then laughing at the corpse falling on the ground because we're bashing the bride because we don't understand who we are. We don't understand that, that God wants us to love his bride. Amen? You see, there's this, there's this reality that if the bride is not loved, if, if the bride isn't loved in the family, that, that, that there's disorder. I want to share this with you. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, you know what, just, just hold right there because I have a few scriptures I want to read. Well, no, let me just, yeah, let's read it now. Ephesians chapter 2, it's going to be up on the screen. It may be up in a different version. Um, so if you'd like to just read it, it would be a little bit different. In verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. Amen. The wall of separation between Jew and Gentile has come down. There is one new man. You know what that means? God isn't racist. He doesn't look at people based upon their bloodline. He looks at humanity as chosen and elect in Christ before the foundation of the world. So God isn't racist, so we shouldn't be either. And I'm not just talking about different colors. I'm talking about different nations. Amen? It says that we are members of the household of God. And by the way, people that aren't, uh, that aren't believers, they're still God's offspring. 
Now, they might not have been awakened to where their spirit is alive in God and they have this authority now as sons of God and they mature in that, but they're still God's offspring. Amen. It says members of the household of God were members of his household. It says built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Another translation says it grows. The temple grows. The church grows. The house of God grows. The temple of God in the New Testament is us individually and corporately, and we grow. How many know that the church is growing? From Acts chapter 2, when Peter began to preach under the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 added in a day, under heavy persecution, persecution, exponential growth, the church is alive and well and doing good and growing. The temple grows. Now, Paul's talking about uh, this this primary purpose of the church to be the dwelling place for God. So it says in verse 22, in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit, the manifest presence of God. So now as we, as we change our paradigm to seeing the the church progressing, seeing the church growing, uh, there's this revelation of, of a household. How many know we're a family? You believe that? Like, we're, we're family. And uh, I was thinking about this, and I've been married. My wife and I are about to celebrate our 15-year anniversary. Come on, somebody. And it's been such, it's been like an eternity. Oh, my, I'm just kidding. No, it's been amazing. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I, I'm continuing to discover the beauty of marriage and family, like, constantly. It's amazing. And I was thinking about the journey of becoming married, and it was just my wife and I. Then it was little Sarah, and then the, and then now we have much more members to our household. Come on, somebody! <laughs> and we have Laris with us, you know. So we have uh, quite a bit of people in our household. We have eight in our household, right? Is that right? Am I counting right? So our household sometimes a little hectic, a little crazy, a little cray cray. Say cray cray. And, and I was thinking about this and our journey of seeing functionality, wholeness in our family. One of the key elements I want to share with you was my wife becoming the head of the home. Now, hold on a minute before you jump to conclusions. Isn't the man the head of the household? Yeah, he's the head of the wife. But the wife is the head of the home. That's where we get the phrase, the wife is the head of the house, or the husband's the head of the household. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the, the husband's the head of the wife, her covering, her, uh, her husband, her protection, her, uh, you know, her head, her leader, her, like Jesus loving the church. But the wife, the bride, is the head of the home. Almost like there's this delegated authority. Now, my house gets crazy. Some of you heard some stories, but, you know, I'll walk home and, and you know, I'll, I'll walk home. I walk home. I walk everywhere. I take the bus, too. I, I get home and I walk inside, and um, sometimes it's a little crazy. My girls, they cheer. So they're doing cartwheels and back bends. And, the, you know, the other day I'm, I'm reclining, and I think Sarah hit me like three times with her heels on my toes. And I'm like, ow, stop doing cartwheels in the living room, you know. The other day we saw this, uh, a few months ago, we saw this huge dent in our wall up in our, our bedroom. It was Sarah's heel from doing a cartwheel in our bathroom. 
So I get home. The girls are doing that. My son's upstairs on the Xbox. He's got his headset on. He's like, oh, headshot. And he's playing, you know, whatever, some kind of game he probably shouldn't be playing. So he's up there doing that. And then sometimes they're all playing together and they're playing like uh, Minecraft and, and Hannah comes in crying. He burnt down my castle that I made. And it's a little hectic, you know, Josiah's running around in his underwear. He's got a big hole in the back of his underwear and he's got a sword and, and mom's trying to get the house in order. Mom has this Pinterest thing open and she's cooking a beautiful dinner and it's a little chaotic and they're not listening to her. And what, I don't know why they don't listen. They, they're getting better though. But I see this, this parallel with the church. So I get home and sometimes Rochelle's like, you know, dad's home. You better listen, you know, and, and we try to get things in order. And, um, oh, and Laris, he's playing swords with Josiah in his underwear too. And he's over there like, you know, no, that's not really what happened. But all the other stuff's true. Nobody wants to see that. (laughs) But I learned that as a husband... To empower my bride to be the head of the home. Like God has given my wife authority to keep the atmosphere of the household one of love and peace and unity. In the same sense, Jesus, the head of the church, has given his bride authority. He has given gifts to the church, as a matter of fact, which is the wineskin. Because the fact is, there's not a problem with the church, there's a problem with the wineskin. And we're hollering at people when we should say, no, what we need is a new wineskin. What we need to do is stop criticizing the lack and become the more. Come on, somebody. Let's become the more. And and I see this parallel that as my wife uh, takes responsibility, as she, Jesus said, to him who has, more will be given. What does that mean? To him who takes ownership, more will be given. There's an increase of authority when we own what we have. Sometimes I think there's more fear of man and church leadership than people that are, uh, that are afraid of authority. Does that make sense? There's more fear. There's like this intimidation and God is calling his people to rise up and he's calling us to love the bride, honor the bride so that we can see more functionality in the family of God. Amen. There's a household issue today. There's a there's a, a, an issue that I see that I want to change. I, I want to see the church rise up and love the bride. I, I love the bride of Christ. I have a passion to see the body of Christ honor with words one another. In spite of doctrinal differences, I have a passion to see us just loving and breaking bread together and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And, and I believe that there is coming a day where we will see the bride rise up and become one. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's possible? And the Bible talks about it in Ephesians chapter 4, but, but Paul first lays the foundation, you're God's dwelling place. Because everything flows from presence. Come on, everything. Now, in this understanding, the church is progressing, okay? The church for almost 2,000 years has been around, and the church is progressing. We're learning that we can't mix government with faith like they did in Constantine's time. Amen. And we're still trying to do it in Western Christianity, especially. We have our American politics and all our stuff that goes on. And I think it's good that we're involved in those realms. Amen. But we can't confuse the kingdom of God with the kingdoms of this world. And we can't confuse where we plead our allegiance to. Amen. 
I love my country. I'm blessed. I was, uh, when, when I saw this stuff in Iraq, I, I'm weeping and I, I, I wanted to show the kids. And my little missionary daughter, Sarah, she has my heart. She's, she just starts bawling. And, and she's watching these people. But I, I said, we're so blessed. Do you realize how blessed we are? Now, I believe in honoring where we, where we are. We honor those that are in authority. Amen. But, but there's a progress made in the church where we don't confuse the two. Like, we can't plead allegiance to the flag before we plead allegiance to the lordship of Jesus. And, and we have to see the difference. And in order for us to progress, now there's two things that are taking place. So I want you to get this. In this progress, God's building his house and he's advancing his kingdom. Now, let me say this. You cannot be pro-kingdom and not pro-church. It's not possible. The church is who advances the kingdom. Hello? I hear this sometimes and it just, I, I don't like it. Well, I, I'm just all about the kingdom. God's not even in the church business anymore. It makes no sense. Jesus loves his church. Jesus believes in his church. Jesus believes in the bride to, to release peace, love, and authority in the earth. To release the kingdom of God. And, and we see this in Matthew chapter 16, which we may go there in a minute. But there's this progressive changing, this nature of progress in the church that we have to see. Like, she's getting more glorious. Now, as... She gets more glorious. I want you to capture this, that the presence, the manifest glory of God is getting thicker and thicker and thicker. Come on, somebody. Now, if we are aware of this and if we pull on this in the invisible realm, if we begin to believe this and we begin to see the bride of Christ, although that there may be some dry bones in the valley, I believe that their bones are coming together. Like I see a bride that is coming together. I see a bride that is being unified. And we start, we need to start prophesying to dry bones instead of make fun of them. Look at you. You're just a skeleton. (laughs) You know, we're always, we're always critiquing each other, right? I mean, let no, the dry bones come alive. Like what if we started just giving each other such hope that we started our hope turned into faith and we just began to say, no, this is, this is happening. It's a done deal. Now my heart has changed for the body of Christ. I believe that Um, I believe that we have to take on the heart of Jesus for the bride of Christ. I I see this in my own family. I see that even after 15 years, uh, I'm growing to love my bride more and my family more. But then there's this element of seeing my wife um, uh, rise up in who she is. And she has authority given by God. This is the way God set it up in the home. And the children are, are listening. The children are, they're getting along more. And I, dad doesn't have to come home and raise his voice in authority. Like they're, they know that mama has got this thing. And as she, there was a revelation actually that took place, what, five years ago? Five years ago, my wife realized I'm the head of the home. Now, my, my wife, our relationship, there's not two heads, there's one head. Amen? Now, this is why I believe that there is a, a lack of women in ministry even, is because we don't honor the bride. And then the counterfeit is like a feminist other deal, right? You understand what I'm saying? The other stuff, the, the, like the Jezebel stuff. But the real deal is men releasing their wives. I, now, you don't know the joy that I receive when my bride's released. 
And she carries my heart and I, and I love her and I, I see the anointing increase on her life. And I, I see her just speak some words and the presence of God fills a room. Like there's such a joy and, and so much more. There's such a joy in the heart of Jesus, the head of the church, as he sees his bride be released in authority and change the atmosphere. Come on, just release a fragrance in every place. The fragrance of love. Now, by the way, as this thing progresses... He's building his church, Matthew 16, and he's given us keys of the kingdom. Now, this was prophesied to, to King David about Solomon. He says, he's going to build a house, and I'm going to establish a kingdom through him forever. It was ultimately, that kingdom faded, but it was fulfilled in Jesus. Amen. Actually, that was the message that Peter preached. In the book of Acts, every time the gospel was preached, they didn't preach about people going to heaven and hell. They preached about the kingdom and the king. Come on. And the resurrection of Jesus. That's a whole nother message. So in this progress, though, we are becoming, we're taking on the heart of Jesus for his bride. And we're, we're learning to love. We're, we're learning what this thing is all about. And as he builds his house, the temple grows, the church. Come on, the church is the dwelling place for God. We're the church. We're the people of God, the covenant people of God. Why do we come together? Because we get to meet with God. Come on, we get, to, we get to learn what family's like. We get to learn to love each other. We can rub each other the wrong way a little bit, right? We can pass a fist every once in a while. Pacifism. I don't, that's a stupid joke. We can, we can, we can learn to love each other, right? Like the, we can sandpaper, iron sharpens iron. We become fitly framed together. It's, it's glorious. It's beautiful. It's, it's the way God made us. We're made for community. We're made for one another. Community refines who we are. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Amen. Now, I, I feel like one of the important parts of, of what I'm sharing with you today, though, is in God building his house, he also advances the kingdom. The kingdom and the church are not the same thing. The church is the people of God. But we advance the kingdom. The kingdom's bigger than the church. The kingdom is outside the realm of the, just the, the gatherings of the church and us as individuals. The kingdom's released. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But it's a government, a reign of not control. It doesn't look like the kingdoms of this world. It doesn't look like legislating faith and making people believe. It looks like love manifesting where people's hearts melt and bow to that love. The government of God is love. Isaiah 16.5 in the message says, A new government of love will be established in the venerable Davidic tradition. This is the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy that God gave David, that your son will build a house. You're going to build a house for me. That's the church. And also, I'm going to establish a kingdom forever. The kingdom of God increasing in the earth. So when we realize what the kingdom looks like, the kingdom looks like love. It doesn't look like control. It doesn't, God doesn't want to like manipulate us. Now that's a whole nother message. I'd love to just sit on for a minute, but um, I think most of us understand that. Like God doesn't want us to die. He wants who we are to come more alive. Amen. Now I believe, uh, I believe it's important that we grasp this, that we get this, that I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 4. Um, let's just read Ephesians 4 real quick. And then I'm going to close with the scripture in Mark. I don't know if I gave you that one or not. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Now let's just read. I'm going to just read from verse 1. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Beautiful portion of scripture. I love Ephesians. 
Um, some theologians, scholars, church historians say Ephesians was one of the richest theological books. And some of the revelation that uh, uh, right along the lines with Romans to the book of Romans has so much good stuff in it. But Ephesians, Paul has uh, some revelation that he doesn't talk about with every other church. You know, it starts out in chapter 1 talking about, you see this understanding of the, the Trinity, the Godhead, or you see this understanding of God purposing in Himself to create us. He dreamed us. He, he created us to lavish His love on us before the foundation of the world. And we see this progressive unfolding of the purpose that He has for for mankind and the purpose that he had to always become joined with humanity in Christ. And then we look at the purpose of the church and we see that the purpose of the church is to become the dwelling place for God. Now I want to just take it up another step. Ephesians chapter four, this is where he says, I, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You know, I want to stop right there and think and talk about this because I, sometimes we don't we don't grasp this. We either we either take it to an extreme like, well, I I, I don't need to please God, uh, or we take it to the stream that like, oh, I just want to please God, and we just think that we don't please Him. You can't please God if you don't know you're already pleasing to Him. Amen. But Paul said, my aim is to please Him. Now he's not really talking about this, but there's a verse in in, in uh, Hebrews that talks about insulting the Spirit of grace. How do we insult the spirit of grace? I'm going to tell you how you insult the spirit of grace is when we have uh, an understanding that in the context in Hebrews chapter 10, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm going to anyways, that in Hebrews chapter 10, that Paul, or the author of Hebrews is saying that you, you're insulting the spirit of grace by looking at the sacrifice of Jesus the way an old covenant sacrifice was. In other words, if I take uh, my sacrifice for my sin to the altar and I'm clean, but I don't realize that in Christ, he reconciled the world to himself. Here's how we insult the spirit of grace by not realizing the whole world was included. Come on, somebody. Now, Paul's talking about the church. Now, here's how sometimes we don't walk worthy of the calling. By not loving the bride. Now, let's just capture that for a minute. It says, uh, be completely humble and gentle. That's such a good word. Can we just stop right there? How encouraging is that? (laughs) Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. To bear with one another in love. It doesn't mean wrestle like bears. It means love one another. It means put up with each other. It means give each other grace. Amen. Bear with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The bond is love. The bond is the ligament that holds the body together. The bond is what pulls us together as one. Love is a passion for oneness. Love is what unites us. And love should be increasing. The way love increases in a marriage, and and then that causes love to increase for the children, and the family becomes more functional, and they come together, and they thrive, and they learn to communicate. And it's the same thing in the church. As we grow as a family, love increases in the earth, and we become more unified. Amen. There is one body and one spirit. Now, Paul's talking about this. There's one church. Now, he deals with this in 
in uh, Corinthians chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, when he's talking about the gifts and the functionality of a body, and he says every part is significant. As a matter of fact, the parts of the body you don't think are significant, you need to honor even more. You see, when we, are, when we are experiencing the love of God, the manifest presence of God, we realize how significant we are and we realize how significant one another and we receive each other and we all do our part and everyone is fitly framed together. It's beautiful. It's just the way we are created. And there's an honor. There's a value. Sometimes we become so familiar with the presence and so familiar with church and so familiar with all the stuff that we don't value each other. And it, we, we need to posture our heart back under that place. We're bowing to King Jesus, the head of the church, and we become fitly framed together as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He's worthy of our praise. It's the best way to become unified. Just submit to Jesus as Lord. We don't have to agree. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Yeah, I do. Jesus, your Lord. Our, immediately it joins our hearts. We come under, we, we bow to King Jesus. So Paul's saying, listen, make every effort, endeavor, King James says, endeavor to keep the, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, you were baptized, the Spirit baptized you in one body. That's, that's, when, you, that's when He indwells you. That's when it's, you know, Galatians 4, I believe, verse 6. It says, the Spirit of Christ indwells you and you cry out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit baptizes you into one body. Now, the reality of that is progressive as we worship together, as we live together, as we fellowship together, that the Spirit of God manifests and we become more united and more bonded and more in harmony. Amen. The reality of, of God's Spirit pouring out upon all flesh, pouring into us. How many know we need to be filled? We need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, are you filled all the time? Some of you got leaks. I got leaks. How many know you got leaks? Come on, let's just be real. You leak out a little bit. That's why we got to be filled every, every moment. Every, His mercies are new every day. His mercies in the new covenant are new every second, every breath. Ah, filled. I'm filled again. I'm going to exhale all the poo-poo and I'm going to inhale all Jesus. Come on, somebody. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Renewed in the Spirit. If my heart is at that place, it's easy to love the bride. It's easy to see things differently. See, when I love my wife the way Jesus loves the church, I don't see any spot or blemish on her. My wife is perfect. And she says she's perfect. She actually believes it. You're perfect. Now, when we love the church, she doesn't have spot or blemish. Now, I know that there's setbacks. I know that there's imperfections. But if, if we love the way we're created to, we begin to prophesy, no longer will we see dry bones in a valley, but we'll see them coming together. We'll see a progress. The, ch- the nature of the church is changing. Let's take on that thought process. Let's take on that heart. Let's take on that reality and begin to prophesy and call those things as not as though they were. Let me keep reading. I'm getting off track. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. Can you say all? All. Paul is trying to make some adjustments here. You know, he, he, he says first, you're members of the household of God, writing to both Jew and Gentile. Like there's no separation now. You're one, one man. He's talking about people, the humanity, one, the one new man in Christ. Now he goes on. Now this is where it gets fun. He says, uh, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ 
opportunity. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Say, gifts to his people. Now, this is known as the ministry ascension gifts. This is the gifts of Jesus that he gave to the church. You know, the Father gave you gifts. You were born with them. Romans chapter 12, they're called motivational gifts. Some people teach, some people are prophetic, they're hospitable, they're mercy motivated. There's these natural gifts you were born with. They're part of who you are. Then Jesus gives gifts, and these gifts, this word gift is different. In the Greek, it's doma, it's a person. It's, it's who the person is. And the person is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Don't we love those gifts? Because they come wrapped in flesh, just like Jesus. And you have the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, the manifestation of the invisible realm, the word of wisdom, word of faith, knowledge, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are the gifts that should be both resident and transient through our lives. But sometimes we reject one and like the other, but we need all of them. They all manifest who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's actually a beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians 12 that says... Uh, that just exemplify what I just shared with you. So it says that he gave gifts to men. He ascended. He gave gifts to men. Why? To equip the people for the works of service. I'm reading verse 12. And that it may be built up until we all reach in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. That we will no longer be infants. I love that. Like Paul's like... You know, don't be immature. Don't be infants. Don't stop acting like a baby. Hello? Amen. I knew that would get a lot of amens. and we're, We act like babies sometimes. He says, don't be infants. Tossed back and forth with waves and blown here and blown there by every wind of teaching, by every cunning craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body, a mature house of him who is the head, Jesus. Come on, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together. New King James says, fitly framed together, fitly framed together. See, there's a difference, hear me, between being an, 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 a, a gathering and an assembly. Hello? If I, if I took a bunch of parts, some of you see me do this, and we have, imagine just a bunch of parts of a bicycle laying on a table. Not, not much good for the purpose of what these things were created for. But when they become assembled, they're mobilized for purpose. Come on, somebody. Now, Jesus says he fitly frames us together in the manifest presence of God where we become mobilized. Let's not be gatherings. Let's be assemblies. Let's be one. Let's love. Let's let the bride have her place. Let's let the Doma gifts, the ministry gifts have their place. They're gifts from heaven. Come on. They deserve honor. We should honor one another. Glory to God. So let's keep going here. It says, instead speaking the truth in love, uh, verse 10, from him the whole body joined and held together by every joint supporting a ligament grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. Say, build itself up in love. Now listen, I used, to, I used to believe that Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. I've heard people say, we can't build the church, only Jesus does. No, you can. You can build up the church by loving. You can advance the kingdom by loving and build the church by loving. We just read in Ephesians chapter 4. How do we advance the kingdom? Love, because it's a government of love. 
Come on. And love is not passive. Love is active. Love moves. Love transforms. Come on. Love corrects, protects. Love isn't like this pansy, love, I love everyone. Amen. (laughs) I love you. Praise God. You can just hit me across the face. That's not love. You can just live however you... No, I'm going to tell you the truth. Like there's power in love. Come on. Love is powerful. Love transforms. When we love each other, we're truthful. We're honest. We live transparent lives. And, and, and we also don't try to rub each other the wrong way. Like we, we, we come alongside and we learn to honor. Amen? So we do both. We build the kingdom of God. We advance the kingdom. And we build the church how? By loving. Love. All we need is love. Come on, somebody. I'm going to close with a scripture in Mark. And I have, I'm just going to go five more minutes. Mark chapter, I don't have any notes, so I'm guessing. I think it's chapter 12. No, it's not chapter 12. Mark chapter 14. Okay, you ready? Now here's, here's what I want to get to. This is so powerful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for grace. Thank you for your mighty manifest presence, Lord. Changing our hearts, God. We want to love your bride. We want to see things differently. We want to be willing to sacrifice. We want to give ourselves. We want to be self-giving. Lord, we don't want to... We don't want to see the members of the body divided. Lord, we just want to see her become more glorious as she is in Jesus' name. Mark chapter 14. Now the Passover, verse 1, and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Sounds familiar. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that was, that's going on in Iraq. Like they're killing Christians. They're, they're, they're beheading them for believing in Jesus. Now the disciples after Jesus was crucified were in a very similar position in John chapter 20. They're afraid for their lives sitting in a room, afraid for their lives. And Jesus shows up and says, peace to you. I'd like to go to that scripture, but we're not going to, I'm going to just keep reading. Maybe I will second service. Now it says here, while he was at Bethany reclining the table in the home of Simon, the leper, A woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume. Say very expensive. expensive. Much more expensive than the perfume my wife wears or the perfumes my bride wears. This was in other gospels. I believe it says it in just a moment here where they believe that it was worth about a year's worth of wages. Let's just have, you know, what is the average annual income you think? 35, 45, okay. I think it's probably a little more than that. But let's just say it's 50, okay? 50,000, a perfume worth $50,000. Now, let's just keep reading here. I want to share some stuff with you. This is so powerful. It says, she broke it and poured it on his head. John says that she poured it on his feet. This says she poured it on his head. Kind of reminds me of the verse in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is. Come on, somebody. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? Yeah. It's like the precious oil. Come on. The anointing running down the head of Aaron, the priestly running down his beard. down. It affects the whole body. 
If you anoint your head, and listen, the anointing that we do now, just a little, little cross on the forehead, just, oh, I anoint you. That's not the kind of anointing they did. The anointing was, you, you're going to get oil. How many have ever had oil dumped on you? Come on, I remember one of the first times somebody did that to me. My hair was greasy, and I'm, I'm kind of a pretty boy. I didn't like that. Don't put oil in my hair, unless it's Moroccan oil. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we should change it. We should put a Moroccan oil in our thing and just bless it. So she poured a $50,000, let me just modernize it here, $50,000 alabaster box of oil on the head of Jesus. Now let's keep reading. Some there were indignant. We know that, that Judas said something. And they said, well, this could have been sold for more than a year's wages. More than a year's wages. And the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Jesus said this, leave her alone. While you were bothering her, she has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll have with you always. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. Listen, look at this part. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. She poured costly perfume on the body of Jesus. Do you know that this alabaster box was in, in the culture? This, is, this was for her wedding. You know what she had in mind? She had oneness in mind. She had love in mind and she poured sacrifice prepared for her wedding on the body of Jesus. Wow. I want to be like this lady right here. And I don't have to worry about what anybody says because Jesus himself will say, leave them alone. I want to pour sacrificial, costly. And what happened is the fragrance filled the room. What is that? It's love. And it changes. What is that? It's the manifest presence. And guess what? Every knee bows in the presence of Jesus. Every heart oh, submits to King Jesus. See, the priority of the church, Ephesians chapter 2, is being the presence of God. Everything flows from that. Equipping the saints, unity, maturing in love. Come on, somebody. Seeing the bride differently. This is the goal. The goal is to see a people take on a heart of a, a servant, take on a heart of sacrificial love and pouring out on the body of Jesus. Let's close our Bibles. Let me just close in prayer. Come on, lift your hands right now and just ask the Lord. I want you to just stir up, stir up your heart. Come on, fan the flame in your heart right now. Sharabakote sebreyatahaya. Come on, just fan that flame in your heart. The flame of love. Take on the heart of God for His bride. He created His bride. Oh, to bring authority in the earth. Come on, He created us to release the kingdom. We are not just pro-kingdom. We love the church and we love the kingdom. We're not just uh, ones that say we need to have a kingdom mindset. Yes, true. But we also need to have a church mindset, a heart attitude and a thought process that sees the church progressing, the changing nature of the church. Come on, would you stand up with me and just pray in the Holy Ghost? I want to ask you right now to just stir your heart 
I want you to pray for the church. I want you to pray for the body. I want you to pray for God's household. I want you to pray for the family of God. I want you to pray for ministries in this region. I want you to pray for the churches in Las Vegas. We will continue to see walls come down. We will continue to see love revealed in the hearts of your people. Lord, walls come down in Jesus' name. You're pouring out your spirit on all flesh. And we receive it now, Father. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. Come on, lift your hands and pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, don't be passive. I want you to cry out. Come on, take on his heart. Say, God, I want to love the church. I want to I want to pour oil on the body of Christ. Sacrificial love. Rabba serete bahaya. Thank you, God. I thank you for what you're doing in this in the city. Thank you for the sound. Thank you for what's going to happen in Boulder City. Thank you for what's going to happen in the awakening, the city church revival gatherings. Thank you for what's going to happen as we move in the new building, God. Unity is coming. A wineskin is forming. The problem is not with the church, it's with the wineskin. And it's time for new wineskin. The church is becoming more glorious. Come on. I don't see dry bones. I see an army of the living God. I call on the four winds of heaven. Blow across this valley. Blow across the people. The church that is persecuted in other nations are getting their heads chopped off and they're saying, forgive them, Father. And many in this region are, we're beheading one another and laughing at the falling corpses. God have mercy. God forgive us. We don't want it to uh, divide the members anymore. In Jesus' mighty name. We put down our sword and we take up the armor of love. We put on Christ. We put on the armor of light. Come on. Jesus, you're changing us. We thank you for it. I, I release fire right now. I release the fire that you've given me, Father. I, I, Lord, I thank you for this journey learning to love the bride, learning to love the bride. And I just release that fire to those that want it. I just take it now in Jesus' name. Take the fire of his love for the bride. Weep for the bride. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He said, I long to gather you like a hen would gather its chicks. I pray for the maternal love of God, the fire of the Spirit of God. Holy Ghost, come and ignite our hearts to love the body of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Say amen. Come on, give God a shout, would you? Hallelujah! Amen. Well, love one another. Bless you guys. May be dismissed.